I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. For Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's king of the geeks, regular host, designated driver, mouth runner and all-round hopeless case, ready to deliver some Doctor Who conversation. Once again, here on our free-speaking, big-thinking show for everyone, whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to those timeless adventures of our hero, Doctor Who, we talk about it all on this show. And there could even be a few laughs along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS in this 60th anniversary year on Type 40. (laughs) Yes, here we are. Once again, traversing the corners of the Hooniverse itself, the the multi-Hooniverse, maybe even this time, for a first word on a brand new project, one that uh, it could be an idea to keep an eye on and an ear open for. And I thought that an ideal person to uh, come together with me back in the console room to talk about this would be we this guy. It's been a little while, so I'm delighted to bring in my mate, the filmmaker and screenwriter, Mr. Ian David Diaz. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hi, hello, mate. Good to see you. Yeah, How's it good going? Good to see you. Yeah, I'm all right. Just uh, you know, doing the usual nonsense, shooting the stuff you... and editing stuff, and you know, usual, <laughs> usual nonsense. <laughs> usual for you, but not for the yeah. rest of us. So you're deep into filming now, aren't you? On the sequel to your award-winning production, Rebecca Gold, aren't you? Doing night shoots, day shoots. You're out in the, out and about in cafes and street corners, aren't you? Wherever they'll let you get away with it, really. Yeah, yeah, I am. And unfortunately, I don't have the the, the the right budget for what I want to shoot, but so you have to work around it. So here you go. Such is life, and all that sort of thing. Well, it'll stretch you creatively, won't it? That, that's the thing. And you're a very resourceful filmmaker, aren't you? Have to be, don't you? <laughs> Is there any other kind? Exactly. 
Well, dedication. You've certainly got a lot of dedication to your art, mate, and this is something that I always admire about you, your enthusiasm and, and well of energy that you manage to muster up for these projects, particularly when you're doing night shoots and, and things like that and trying to rustle uh, actors and everybody else together. It really is very, very impressive. But I think it's the kind of, the kind of language that uh, a particular a breed of person speaks, and I can only think that I know what you're talking about, but I know that our guest on this edition of the show, I think he knows exactly what you mean because he's also deep into a new project now too. Let's, let's set the scene a little bit. This is a writer and actor and director, and I'm guessing he could be a bit of a Doctor Who fan too. This is Philip Roy. Welcome to Type 40, Philip. Hello. Nice to see you. Hello. So, yeah, it's a perfectly normal thing to do, isn't it, Philip, to get together with nice two to total strangers to talk about Doctor Who and time and space and all that kind of thing. It's quite the thing that we do, isn't it? Uh, just talk about our favourite shows. <laughs> so although people haven't seen you or heard you on this show before, they may have seen you on the screen, haven't they, in some of their favourite shows? Because you are an actor. And how long have you been acting for? Uh, it was about 10, 15 years? Uh, more towards the sort of 10 mark, really, although I started doing more background essay roles because obviously... Um, I'm based in Cardiff and um, there's an awful lot of filming going on down here and around the southwest Bristol way. So, um, so yeah, I've done, probably had my foot in, you know, a fair few of them. Poldark, Merlin, Stella, Casualty, Doctor Who. Everybody's been on Casualty, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's a standard line. Everybody's been on Casualty. <laughs> yeah. So who were you in Poldark then? What were you doing there? In the first series, I played the sort of second lieutenant to uh, Richard Harrington's captain mm -hmm. in, I think, the second episode. It was a party scene. You don't look too thrilled, Philip, it has to be said. And those wigs, they look a little bit itchy. What are they like? Uh, not too bad. That wasn't too bad. But um, there was a few of us had to wear the wigs and some people got away with their own hairstyles. But I think mine was, mm. my hair was probably a bit short <laughs> at the time. You were also in Sherlock yeah. too, weren't you? Yeah, that was the episode with uh, Toby Jones. So it was nice to work with him as well. It was quite a good um, education, really, to the way that they film, because normally what happens is the the essays get sent off set when they're setting up. But with this scene, because it was a set, they would just push us behind the set so we could watch everything on the monitor. So we, we literally saw the whole yeah. process of how it filmed, how they do different takes. So so I learned a lot that day, and, uh, and obviously working with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman and Toby Jones on one show is, you know, not the worst job in the world, is it? Toby Jones was in Doctor Who and then you got Doctor Strange, so you had two Doctors there. <laughs> two That's connections true. to the Doctors there, yeah. But uh, what's going on here? This looks a bit more gothic. This is probably the first, what I call a feature film, um, that I did. It's, it's uh, based on the true life story or, or the true crime story of um, the Green River Killer, who was a serial killer in America, killed an astronomical number of women, really. I think it was pushing oh. 40 to 60 women. Wow. Um, he came after Ted Bundy had been arrested. But the story is about how Ted Bundy helped the police who had caught him to catch this serial killer. And it's the whole, and I think this is where the idea of, of Silence of the Lambs came in, where oh, you, I see. You, you use a serial killer to catch another serial killer because they understand how their twisted minds work. Um, so I play a chap who's based on uh, the real life FBI chap, Robert Keppel, who caught Ted Bundy and then and then helped oh, uh, to yeah. catch 
the Green River Killer. Oh, so um, that's a big part then. It was. It's a. It was a. You know, it's a low budget film, straight to DVD. I auditioned for it, and um, and it was quite a quite a big part. You know, before that, I was doing short films and student films, and this mm. was a major step up. And there was there was an awful awful lot of dialogue. It's on Amazon Prime and Netflix. If anyone wants to watch it, it's called Bundy and the Green River Killer. We'll make sure we put some links to some of these in the description to the to the video and the show notes to the podcast as well. So, in some respects, being an actor and some of these roles that you've played, it must be a little bit like traveling in space and time yourself. You're playing goodies, playing bad guys, sometimes in the present, yeah. sometimes in the past, sometimes in costume, sometimes not. How does that feel? You're sort of living out a, a boyhood fantasy, or is there something a lot more artistic and deep and meaningful about it, or is it somewhere in the middle? Well, I just think it's always nice to be someone else for a few hours. Um, <laughs> you know, even as a kid, I was doing impressions and making up little characters, yeah. um, funny voices. I feel like I've got a little bank of characters inside me. So when I start, <laughs> start reading a script uh, or for a role, there's usually something I can pick up on that, that I can uh, I can tap into. I, I love playing characters, especially the bad characters. The, you know, the, they always say the bad characters are the most fun. But it's but you know with Panto obviously you can be really over the top. But obviously if you're playing a if you're playing a bad character in a film, you don't want to be chewing the scenery or trying to outdo the main actor. And and you have to always come back to the idea that bad characters normally don't think they're bad. They might be ruthless and they have a reason to do things, but in their minds they're justified. You know you've got to keep that in 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 your mind. I think. A lot of people do liken, rather unfairly, I, I think, Doctor Who to a, a, a kind of panto, don't they? Because mm. it, is, it, it is sort of cartoon-like, in a sense, isn't it? The version of history that we get in Doctor Who. It's not, it's not really as thinly sketched as panto is. It's almost like a cod history. It's kind of boiled down. But you have been in Doctor Who, haven't you? So uh, what's this and where were you? What, what episode was this? Ah, right. So this is the 50th anniversary episode. So exactly 10 years ago. This is wow. Day of Day of the Doctor. I'm sure the fans will remember that the Daleks attacked one of the Gallifrey outposts of Arcadia. There's a scene where in the aftermath of the Dalek attack, there were a few survivors. And um, I was one of the survivors, which was nice. Mm. <laughs> uh. So that was a that was a two a two day night shoot. So we filmed this while they were waiting for waiting for it to get dark. Mm. So they they picked a few of us and uh, and we were lucky to uh, to play Dalek survivors. <laughs> Did you get to see the Daleks? Were they on set as well? Yes, later on in the night they were. A lot of the scenes we were sent off, but while we were waiting to do our the scenes next, we could see the Daleks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. Was that a bit of a bit of a dream come true, being next to the Dalek, or did you tap into some sort of oh, light and fear from your childhood? Absolutely. Um, as much as I loved Doctor Who as a kid, I, I, like every other child, they were fascinated by the Daleks just just by the way they move. You know that that shape and the way they move. That wasn't the only place in the 50th anniversary that people may have sort of seen you. Is it? You were there right at the end too, weren't you? Where Where are you here? What? I, yeah, I, I'm playing uh, Sylvester McCoy. It, this was an iconic scene, wasn't it? Right at the end of the production, where all the doctors are sort of lined up, and it's it's uh, special effects heavy, isn't it? And and there they all are, seemingly every incarnation of the Doctor all together. And there were you in the thick of it. I think a lot of us wondered how on earth they, they'd done that. That was you, wasn't it? So tell us about, about this, about the whole process. How did this come about? Doctor Who is always very secretive. 
So if you get a call from your agents, normally they'll say, do you want, you know, there's two days on casualty or there's a couple of days on Sherlock. But sometimes they say, oh, are you available Wednesday? And you say, oh, yeah, yes, I am. And they just say, oh, we'll get back to you. So they don't want to tell you that it's Doctor Who, just in case yeah. um, you start spreading rumours that, you know, they're filming Wednesday. So they said, uh, we've got a couple of days doing doubling work. The only thing is, are you happy to have your sideburns shaved? And I said, yeah, but what is it? And they said, oh, 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 it's, uh, it's Doctor Who. So I said, well, yeah, of course. Uh, I knew that they were filming the anniversary special and I'd heard that the Zygons were coming back. As soon as I heard the word doubling, I, I in my little fan mind, I, which was whirring, I thought perhaps I was playing one of one of the actors that had been cloned by the Zygons. You know, so you see them, you see them from the back, but also from the front. Yes. Um, you know, that, that was what I, you know, doubling work, that's what I'm playing. They normally send you into the canteen for, to wait to be picked up by one of the one of the crew. And um, there was a couple of other essays that I knew. A chap called Mickey Lewis, who does an awful lot of creature work. He's played Cybermen, Daleks, all sorts. Yeah, of... I recognise the name. Yeah. Yeah, Mickey's done a, done an awful lot, uh, and a few other people. And the first thing he said to me was, "Which doctor are you playing?" Uh... Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my jaw dropped and I said what are you talking about he said well we're all playing Doctor Who we're all playing the old Doctors so again immediately I started thinking about which Doctor I would probably be and I I narrowed it down certainly by, by my height uh, which is about 5 or 8 um, to either Patrick Tratton or Sylvester McCoy and yeah it was Sylvester McCoy and the interesting thing was that the costumes are the original costumes uh, that they had on display in the Doctor Who experience at the time. So oh, I'd wondered about had, that. Yeah, so we actually had to wait till 5.30 until the experience closed for them to port the costumes over to us. Uh, meanwhile, we, we'd gone into sort of hair and makeup, so they, they seemed to find some sort of wigs for us that uh, looked... Uh, reasonably the same as the as the actors, uh, and we all waited. We all waited around in dressing gowns um, until the costumes came over. That's really surprising that the BBC would <laughs> yeah. would would um, wait till instead of actually getting you another costume or or another costume made for this because it's the fiftieth, right? And it's really yeah. It just goes to show how cheapskate the BBC is, in um, my opinion, of course. It was just a really obvious solution to them rather than having to get all the essays in measure them run up a costume yeah. they just think hey guys can we borrow the the costumes from the from the experience for a couple of yeah, hours but you had to wait till it finished though see that that's the thing that gets yeah. me it, to yeah. be fair the experience was right next door to the studio it, okay. i know <laughs> i know but still yeah. though still you know i mean but by the time you know i mean i think our call time was about two in the afternoon by the time they wait around pick you up put you through hair and makeup yeah. And also they, they put these, as you can see, they put these little letter set dots, dots on. Yeah. Uh, so they could match up the, the, the photos from the original cast. Mm. When you actually watch the episode, we were told not to move around at yeah. all. Yeah. Because it, it would alter the, the face then. But if, <laughs> but if you, so it looked, oh. it, I think a lot of people thought it was some sort of static photograph. It looked you, like I, it was, yeah. It's crazy. But if you actually watch the clip, you'll see um, the second doctor does this with his fingers and if you look at my doctor i'm doing something with the collars there was no direction in this 
it just happened to be that the chap who played uh, the second Doctor, Richard Roberts, knew a bit about Doctor Who and he knew about the Trapham Doctor. And obviously I knew yeah. a bit about Doctor Who. So, you know, we were able to give a little bit more of a characterization to those particular Doctors. If someone had said to the, to the agency, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan and I know loads <laughs> about Doctor Who, you've basically <laughs> killed any chance of, of getting on Doctor Who because they don't want people who are fans because they always worry that the fans will be so pent up about it that they will start dropping little yeah. little bits about the plot. While we were waiting for the costumes to come over, there was there was a chap there who was filming and he was he was in costume as a Time Lord guard and he knew nothing about Doctor Who, but he said, oh, um, he, said, uh, he said, they told me that this this character called Omega is, is, is the baddie in it. He's coming back. I knew who Omega was. Now, when he watched the episode, Omega is not in it at all. That's something that the production yeah. put out as, as a little MacGuffin. So if people did tell people, everyone would think that Fuel the room of the going back. Yeah, very, very crafty. crafty. Because as I'm sure you're aware, out here in the fan community, we think that there are red herrings put out there. But until very, very recently, it was a case of, oh no, no, they they wouldn't do that. But I think Russell T Davies said last year that he he had been and would be having fun with the fan community, as if to say, yeah. I know exactly where you go, and you won't know it's me, and you won't know what's true and what isn't. You know, he's a very very playful. Man, is he a, very much like that? Yeah. I, the way I see it, it's all it's all part of the fun to uh, get people talking about the show, isn't it? I remember those rumours about yeah. Omega. Now you mentioned it. That's where they came from. Probably this chap who, <laughs> who started <laughs> the whole. But, there's um, always one, isn't there, Phil? There's yeah, always one. There's always one. But but like I say, Doctor Who is is very very secretive, and I, and it's hard to get onto as well. You know, there's there's people who have done a lot of background work and and have mm. never managed to get on, and and I think. I think when you get onto it, if you do a good job, or it certainly seems to be cases, then then they would call you back. So you would get, you know, one or two episodes um, a season. And then I think when it when it changed to um, the new production crew, um, Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker, the, yeah, the old point, new production I, crew, the old new production yeah, crew. Yeah. At that point, I I I never got any um, any shout outs for for Doctor Who after that because it was an I suppose it was a new a new a new era and a new new people looking to book essays. What I'm thinking of, Ian, is that Robert De Niro movie, the uh, Meet the Parents with the Circle of Trust. Do you remember that? Yeah. I suspect it's very like that. <laughs> I can understand why they do that, though. I mean, obviously, they want to try and keep it secret and all that, but I can understand it totally, that why you wouldn't hire Doctor Who fans. You're, I think you were very lucky to be part of the 50th, because the 50th mm. is, is the one thing that loads of loads of the fans remember and cherish just like the five doctors we cherish the five doctors big time the same thing with the 50th as well the 50th wasn't perfect nor was nor was the the five doctors but the 50th is the the latest one that we can we can honestly truly say that doctor who was right up there it's great that you were part of that it must be yeah. a lovely memory because obviously david Tennant and matt smith they're two people that this fandom do hold in in very high esteem we've got a lot of affection for both of those gentlemen mm. but john hurt is and i'm sure that that those two guys wouldn't mind me saying that john hurt is a was a genuine uh, screen legend wasn't he? And and possibly Britain's greatest living character actor, certainly at that time. So as as an actor, were you very conscious of that? Or do you find yourself quite easy to distance yourself from that after you've been around around a few bigger, bigger names and things? I think I think it's a bit of both. I think, you know, when we when we were brought into the studio in costume and they said, wait here, 
uh, David and Matt are just finishing off a scene. So we could see David Tennant and, because it's quite a big studio, the one set, it's, uh, and we saw David Tennant and, and Matt Smith just finishing off something. And we were all waiting in a lineup uh, at the bottom end of the studio. And then David Tennant just looked over for some reason, did a, a real cartoon comedy take, double take, and started nudging Matt Smith and, you know, saying, there's the doctors, there's the doctors, look. Mm. Um, so when we came on, David Tennant was like a kid in a sweet shop. He was taking photos. He said, I've got to have photos with you and all this sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> and then they brought on so uh, John Hurt. And it was just amazing because he is, he is and was, a, like you said, a huge film star, a huge icon. Um, and they just positioned him by us and we sort of, Gave him a, you know, obviously you don't, you can't just go up to them. You've got, you've got to try and be professional. So you might um, yeah. give them, give them a smile or say hello, how are you or whatever. But, but you know, you can't, yeah, you can't of course, go of full, course. You know, can I have your autograph? I loved you in Alien, yeah, that sort of thing. But people but, um, like that have an aura, don't they? But afterwards, yeah. did oh, yeah. you, did you not get a chance after they no. did the last take? No. No, because what tends to, you know, I, uh, I think a couple of us got to shake his hand, but, but mm. you know, they pretty much whisk, 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 whisk them away, I think. Um, wow. Oh, what do you mean the actual BBC staff and the director? Well, the they, they were just, yeah, I mean, obviously once, once he's done his scenes and they say, right, that's a, that's a wrap guys. Um, you know, the, the director might go over and say a few words to him. And at that point, you know, mm. uh, he, he sort of goes off, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's, that's it is really, what it is, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a shame, really, because um, you know, it's kind of disrespectful to the to the um to the stand-ins and you know and the other actors in the mm. room. It is kind of, you know, I mean, it will take nothing for a couple of seconds to say, you know, you know, um, thank you to David Tennant or whatever, and thank you to the to the people that were helping and stuff like that. Because if they didn't say yeah. that, then it's a bit it's a bit crap, isn't it? Really, let's say. Did, did so? Did the well, yeah. okay? The question I need to ask you is: Did the first say thank you very much for your for your help guys you know that's a wrap blah 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 oh, yeah. he oh, just yeah. got whisked away and that was that and say thank you and get out <laughs> basically yeah they do that no 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 that, 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 you know that uh, i think the director nick curran i think was directing it um you mm. know he was he was um very personable and thanked us all and right. said it was a good job but but nice. but you know, I mean, it was ten. It was ten years ago, and I and I was full of excitement yeah. at the time. So I probably don't remember it quite as it was. But so, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming but, but, that. But you don't. You don't get a lot of time. You don't really yeah. get a, a, a lot of interaction because they're moving on to the next thing. You know. So sure. Um, but I'm assuming that um, I, this is a guess here. Now, was the um, the museum set next to that set? Like you were saying, they were just finishing up on something. Was it? Uh, could you see what they were doing? Could you see what set oh, they no. were on? No, no um, the, uh, the, 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 I don't think, I think they have uh, more than, more than the one studio. So, so when we went yeah. in, there's the standing TARDIS studio, um, set. Mm. Uh, and obviously you see, you see it from the, from the outside. So it's all the, you yeah, know, the yeah. woods, the wooden frame. Um, yeah. And then, um then and in the in the distance we could see the the the, the tardis police police box and they and matt and david were just finishing up something there mm. and then they 
they so there wasn't anything else really in that studio at the time so so if they had constructed the museum set it would probably would have been on another in another all right studio. i got you i got you uh, i got a yeah. feeling they had two studios at the time yeah because it's such a big production yeah so they so they would always have you know the top the tardis set there and mm. then used for, for for whatever but i but i think they had two stu- i think they used two studios at the bbc at the time yeah that's great um, that's great yeah so the studio was i mean the set was very very basic basically they 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 built a little a little wall painted it black and then they filled it with dry ice um and obviously the wall helped keep it in and then they positioned us in a a a v formation and if you watch the episode when you see the, the 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 doctors from the back we're in one formation and then when they film it from the front we're in different positions Oh, so it yeah. doesn't quite compute, but also, but obviously it is a dream sequence in in in, in a lot yeah, of ways. So it, is. so it doesn't yeah. really matter. Um, yes, yeah, so you can see from the photo there, you can see the dry ice. And then what they did, which was quite interesting, is they said, "Right, guys, you're all looking up uh, as if you can see Gallifrey, which has been lost." And they, I think they pointed uh, with a laser pen to a, to a little bit of masking tape on the wall, <laughs> and. Uh, and they said, you know, obviously this is a big moment. You know, Gallifrey was previously lost. Uh, you, you know, it's your home planet, which you haven't seen for for a number of years. Um, and they actually piped in some um, some gentle, um, gentle atmospheric music. So it, oh. it did give a little bit of the emotion, you know, which they don't normally do. Yeah. They, you know, you're normally there mm. to say, right, imagine, imagine you're, you're feeling wistful about your. But no, um, uh, they did pipe in some some very sort of um uh, emotional music actually and it did get it your did senses moving a sensory experience yeah, yeah. it was it was, it was nice. an interesting way that they filmed it mm. um, and then obviously they you had which you can see from that photo there's a they had a huge um huge camera on a crane and yeah. they just come come closer and closer to to david and matt to get their expressions you know their wistful yeah, expressions, and also, so obviously it helped them as well. You know, for, for um, mm. I mean, it didn't really make too much difference to our faces because we were going to have photographs of the original actors <laughs> put on. But, but obviously, for for for, mm. for David uh, John Hurt and, and um, Matt Smith, you know, it was important to get get them in in some sort of emotional state. What a fabulous experience, Phil! Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. As I said earlier on, this isn't necessarily why you're here to talk about. To talk about Doctor Who with us this time is it because you're involved in an exciting, fun new project that's definitely going to be of interest to to you. If you think that the BBC simply haven't been getting enough Doctor Who in front of our eyes <laughs> this last few years, and I'm thinking of Ian De- David Dears in particular, and pretty much everybody out there i'd say so keep listening for where we're going with that but in the meantime i've got to remind you that each and every edition of this show past present or future is just a tap or two away but only if you know where to look there's well over a hundred reviews previews interviews geek outs and deep dives with all our regular panelists and some pretty awesome guests we know there's something for every fan in fact over at type40.podbean.com more about that later on as well as a couple of minutes where we will make contact with a matrix of all knowledge that we call the fandom podcast network for a word about all the other cult conversations going on across all the other shows over there okay i think we've 
beat around in time and space for long enough time to get stuck in to the real reason why you're here and the tremors that are coming out of the vortex. Let's get multiversal and see what or who exactly pops out when we pull to open. It goes without saying, as Doctor Who fans, we'd ideally like to see as much of the Time Lord on screen as possible. However much any of us may enjoy the expanded media stuff, which I know that you don't, Ian. <laughs> ah. Seeing, hearing or imagining is always going to be the fullest of Doctor Who experiences, isn't it? Practically, practically since the beginnings of organised fandom, many of our number have got, frankly, a little bit fed up with waiting for uh, just a little bit more and found making their own unofficial on the series and this character an itch that it's impossible to resist giving a good old scratch so we're here with writer and director philip roy to tell us more about one such project an exciting new venture with a very evocative title indeed so this is doctor who meets the scorpion i don't know what to talk about first three who what what's what or who is the scorpion phil you're responsible for for all of this where should we start what is this project well a couple of years ago i was um i saw a, a, an advert for a on, on a on an actors forum um mm. for a for a fan film and they were looking to cast doctor who and uh so of course i was very excited some sent off my uh my CV and got a little script. I did a, a self tape. I pushed the board out a little bit, so I I had a couple of Daleks in it and a Cyberman um, and some monsters. And the idea was that the Doctor walks into almost like the the cafeteria on Star Wars, and they all turn around and what and you know notice he's come in, and then he has gives a little speech to them. Sent it off and um, and didn't hear anything. And I thought, oh, that's a bit disappointing. I really went. The extra mile for that you know yeah. i mean actors actors are always used to being um rejected well done but you didn't get the role and i didn't hear anything so uh i left it a few weeks and said you know any feedback on this chaps and they said oh we're, we're just finishing off one of our other films so it's on hold for a bit we'll we'll be in touch months turned into about a year and then covid hit so while i was at home, like everyone else, doing nothing. I, I messaged them again and said, look, you know, is there any update on this? And they said, where are you based? And I said, oh, Cardiff. And that was the last I heard. And I think, obviously, because it was no budget, no no pay, um, I think they, they, they were worried about the expenses of moving someone back and forth across country to do weekends filming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not a problem. But I, but I started thinking, well, look, why are you, why are you um, worrying about this, you know? when you could you could do your own fan film you know enough people you've acted you know enough good actors you know enough crew so this kernel of an idea started um and then i was um again doing a bit of work for my uncle as a paint and decorator because my you know filming had stopped during covid and uh he had two large factories um next to each other food production factories and and the one factory at the back had these big mixing machines and with big retro Thunderbirds buttons. And I thought, oh, God, this would make a brilliant Dalek control room. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, why, why not? And then in the other factory, I, I was I was painting some um, markets on the floor at night 
and um, yeah. parts of the, the factory look really dark. And I thought, oh, this is spooky. This would make a brilliant horror film. And so I started, I, I did it the opposite way of how I'm sure Ian writes his things, is that normally you write your story and then hope to find the locations which fit it. And what I did was think, I've got two great locations. How can I write a story around it? <laughs> so, so that was the cool of the idea. And then um, I think it took, you know, I got most of the way through it and then it just got, uh, most of it in terms of the script, it got put on hold for a bit. And I thought, come on, Phil, you really need to knuckle this down. And then maybe you could start filming this next year. So eventually that and about a month and a bit ago, we did, we actually put, something on to film for the first time um we did a weekend of filming with with dialects put a few photos up started up the the, the facebook site and um, yeah. it seemed to garner a very good response a lot of people saying oh this this is as the feel of the 60s films because we used um we used movie dialects and then in other scenes we use classic dialects we we haven't used new series dialects about a week and a half ago we we started filming on the main story in one of the other factories at night. So we did a night shoot and um, again, got some really good footage from that. After two sessions, really, we've got 15 minutes of footage. And I got a feeling that this thing, I've, I've said it's a 60 minute fan film, but I've got a feeling when it adds up, it may be yeah. a little bit over that. Now, uh, a fan film, for anybody out there who doesn't know, who's unaware of this, is a film or video. This is how it's defined. A film or video inspired by a film, television production, or a comic book or video game created by the fans rather than the official copyright holders or creators. And the filmmakers have traditionally been, been next to amateurs more often than not, although plenty have been produced by professional filmmakers, perhaps to use on, on showreels and things like that, isn't it, Ian? That's why yeah. people sort of, I won't say cut their teeth, but maybe experiment a little on such productions, don't they, with what they can do both with actors and locations in the way that Philip's described them, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of Star Wars, there's a lot of Star Wars fan films out there that are absolutely brilliant, you know, in special effects. You know, obviously, kids today, they're wizard at special effects and just as good as some of the Hollywood productions. So there are a lot out there. It's a shame, really, because most of the Doctor Who fan films, um, compared to the Star Wars ones or the Judge Dredd ones, which Judge Dredd, they thought Judge Dredd ones out there, they're not as 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 um as good in production wise as uh, usually it's americans making them sort of thing i think so, it's kind yeah. i think it's kind to say ian to acknowledge that they they vary in in quality and, yeah uh, and in yeah. length because <laughs> we've yeah. all seen them haven't we and <laughs> yeah there's a superman one that's just come out there's a spider-man one has just come out recently you know they you know you can tell they're amateur films but you know but it, there's nothing wrong with that and 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 no. uh, fans fans love making amateur you know um, yeah you know, fans love making fan films and i love watching them tell you the truth so you know when phil gets his one out i'll be watching definitely <laughs> well i wondered about about the whole notion of a fan film i wondered had it started with star wars but it turns out it hadn't no, it the very hasn't. first yeah. the very first fan film came out in 1926 which was a, a, a kind of a homage to a series of movies that were called our gang and this original yeah. fan film it's it's been preserved there's only one copy of it in existence and it's locked away in south carolina's news film library as an artifact of interest 
itself. And, and lots of people who went on to, to work in film or entertainment in one respect or another, people who were aspiring to do so, they did, they cut their teeth making fan films, including a teenage Hugh Hefner. So, Philip, did you ever imagine yeah. that you'd be following in the footsteps of Hugh Hefner? Oh, um, that's a loaded question. Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, I didn't, actually. No. I might have bought a couple of his publications over the years, but... But what's his name from Doctor Who? Didn't he he used to be in a fan film? The guy... What's his name? The one who writes. He wrote wrote for New Who. He he was... Oh, God, what's his name? He's an actor, but he's also a writer. He was in Sherlock. Played Sherlock's brother. Oh, Mark Gatiss. Mark Mark Gatiss. He was in a fan film before... and a Doctor Who yes. fan film, in fact, before he became, yeah. you know, in the real Doctor Who. So, and my yes, my friend, true. yeah, my friend used to do fan Doctor Who films. Oh, well. that's right, your friend, your former colleague, yeah. he was involved in the Stranger series, he wasn't was. he, from BBV, yeah. very yeah, high yeah. profile fa- fan Doctor yeah. Who series. Yeah, he was. So, I mean, you know, it could lead into bigger things. You know, that's the thing. And and it, and I always take my half to people who actually complete. Because you get a lot of people going, oh, I want to make this, I want to make that. They, all it is is just talk. But but I, I I know how difficult it is to make something with hardly yeah. any money. So once they complete it, it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. I always respect them and I take my hat off to them. And I think, you know, you've achieved something that a lot of people talk about but not do. So do you know what oh, I mean? So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing. That's what I say. Well, let's, anyway. let's, start with, let's start with the title. Doctor Who meets. That's a very... How can 60s. I put this? Yeah, very kitsch, very 60s. It it does chime with the, the Doctor Who and the Daleks title, doesn't it? Doctor Who, D-R Who. So is this something that, that, that just leans in to your own personal tastes, Phil? Or is it just a matter of fact, it's sort of born of the circumstances and the realities of the production that you can make? With the title, um, we knew the, the main bad guy in this or the main adversary for the doctor was a character called the scorpion so i mean i was thinking of a title you know would it be doctor who and the scorpion as it would have been on a target novel then i i remembered um the project that tom baker and ian marta were trying to get off a film in the 70s called doctor mm. who meets Scratchman, and i thought oh what if we had doctor who meets the scorpion that would be that would be very mm-hmm. retro. That would be a talking point. That would be something that people could uh, latch onto. Um, obviously, we have we have a pre-title sequence with with the Daleks, and we've got movie Daleks, like I said, and classic Daleks. Um, so there's an element of the Cushing movies which is referenced there. I think what we're trying to achieve is 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 a flavour of the 70s and 80s uh, in the in the beginning of the um, of the episode, I'm very conscious. We, we've seen where right away I lose the sonic screwdriver. I ne- I didn't want that as as the oh we're in trouble. I'll wave the sonic and everything will be all right. In the old series, you know, didn't might have used the sonic now and again to to unscrew something, but it wasn't to just quicken up the plot a little bit. Yeah, and I, I I like the idea that the Doctor has to think around not having a sonic you know so he has to get out of situations um without pressing a button this <laughs> is a kind of a dennis waterman project isn't it you're you're it is is <laughs> in the sense that you're 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 writing it you're directing it and you've cast your yourself Did as you sing the, the theme yeah. 
yeah, well, I mean, I, I did, I did uh, have a little go at uh, rearranging the theme and putting a few few things on there. So, so yeah, it is. It's very much a Dennis Waterman project. I mean, I didn't, I didn't intend to direct it, but I knew hmm. I had certain ideas about how I wanted certain scenes to look and certain camera hmm. angles, etc. Um, and I thought, well, if I if I've got to almost impose myself on a, on a director who might have different ideas, that's immediately a clash. Yeah. And I think I think as a as an actor stroke director in a production, you have to have a lot of trust in your DOP. Um, so I storyboard um, all the scenes that we do. I run through with my DOP what I want and what I want to achieve and, and certain shots and angles and invariably he will say okay why don't we do it like this and we'll come up with something better mm. or or enhance my idea so I think we work very well together in that sense but as an actor sort of director you can't be behind the camera you, you can't be monitoring how the how the, the scene is shot so you have to have confidence in your DOP you know, and sometimes I'll come back and look at how he's filmed it, um, you know, most of the time. But that does hold things up a lot. But a lot of the time, you know, if we're doing multi-angles, as long as I can see the angle, I'm happy in the way that he's filming it. So, so yes, it, it wasn't a conscious decision. And, and again, I didn't intend to write all of this. I, I, I had some ideas. And then I came to a, 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 um, a brick wall, if you like. I spoke to a, I asked a friend who was a published author um, if he could give me some pointers while I was waiting for him to come up with some idea where the plot could go. I was waking up at three in the morning. The ideas were worrying. So it sort of it sort of came came to me. And in the end, I, I managed to put together a, a story which which works and engages. You're doing it like the 70s style stroke the, the movie style kind of thing that's the aesthetic you're going for yes yeah yeah um mm. we don't have a lot of cgi effects obviously mm. we'll have we'll have dalek blasters yeah but but we're trying to do most of the stuff uh in, in, in camera, camera. Yeah. yeah um all our tardis shots are being done with a with a a, 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 a chap who makes these brilliant uh 12 inch tardis models and uh, he, he can put CGI backgrounds on them. But it's a bit like the old Harryhausen films. When you see yeah. a model, when you see a, you know it's real, even though it might be a little bit claymation jerky, it feels real mm. when it's CGI. And if you don't have the budget to do good CGI, I find it can mm. let, let it down. And how does that feed into your own portrayal, too, of the, the central character, of, of the, the title character, the Doctor? Because obviously each actor that's played that, it, Tom Baker always says that it's largely the same character, but I'm not necessarily sure that that's, that that's true. What's your take on that character as well? I think there's an element of, a running element of the Doctor. Um, he's slightly eccentric. Uh, he, he's he's brave he knows what he's doing or he, he hopes he knows what he's doing um what each actor hopefully is able to bring to it their own a little bit of themselves you know obviously there's a huge chunk of tom baker in tom baker's doctor there's a huge chunk of john pertwee in his in his doctor yep. i would say maybe patrick Troughton, as a character actor um there's maybe less of patrick Troughton mm. in it more character um but I, but I think, 
Yeah, I think um, I think the character is there, but I, but obviously I've I've written I've written the Doctor's scenes um, or his dialogue with with a view to the way I want to play the character, mm. um, and I and I again I I've never I've never put this what I feel is is maybe how you'd call the new Who character this this idea of the Doctor as a who thinks of himself as, uh, in some ways, not a god, but, you know, I am someone in the universe, people fear me, that sort of thing. A higher I, being uh, with a greater responsibility. Yeah, I've gone back to... The, the, there's there's, there's a, a line in um, in our script where uh, one of the bad guys confutes me, and he, and he says, who are you? And I said, oh, oh, I'm I'm the Doctor, no no one important. You know, because, because I don't want to give this... I don't want this guy to be... To, to sort of know that he's bigger than he is. Obviously he is. Um, but, but I like the idea that this guy just comes in, bumbles his way uh, and, and tries to sort out the, the situation. Mm. So, so, so I think, like I said, it's more, it's more of the, of the, of the seventies, eighties character. Yeah. Oh, I did wonder because in these images that you've that you've circulated through social media, he's got a very definite look. There's something of the of Dennis Waterman's character from a show like The Sweeney or, or Gene Hunt, yeah. Life on Mars. And I did I did wonder was that was there any elements of that? Not necessarily, not literally, that you're gonna go around yeah. chinning people out and, and downing pints. <laughs> but was it gonna chime with, with a seventies mood and feel and what heroism kind of was then what a, what a, a patrician character perhaps would have been like then I'm thinking more of the way that John Thorpe played Regan come to think of it rather than well Dennis why Thorpe. would you say that Dennis Waterman I think you're insulting the man I'm joking I hadn't thought that perhaps perhaps I should insist on pints uh, on yeah. instead of <laughs> water bottles I mean to, to be honest like like I said I I think I brought I brought a, an element of myself to this character. Now, now I'm, yeah. I'm an ex-mod. Probably still a lot of me as you can just see, see the T-shirt. Wow. Hey! Uh, Fantastic. I love, I love the Who. I love Northern Soul. I love Motown. Mm. And my look uh, has always been a bit of the 70s. You know, I've got a f- yeah. f- f- probably far too many leather jackets from the 70s and um, <laughs> loud Brilliant. white collared Brilliant. shirts. Yeah. So, so when I was, you know... I suppose when you are thinking of playing the doctor, the first thing you think of is, oh, what's my look going to be? You know, what am I going to wear? Do you know Um, what's interesting, though, is that I've watched a lot of fan Doctor Who films and it's made by mostly kids. Okay, mm. mostly kids, twenty, maybe people in their twenties, whatever. Never, they, they, I've never seen a Doctor Who fan film with someone. Well, once with someone in their thirties, whatever. But it's obvious that you are a huge fan of of classic Who. I mean, to quote the thing, classic Who. Yeah. And so that's where your interest lies. But if you see some of the, the the fan films on YouTube, you have all these young guys playing it, and they're definitely stuck in the new Who world. The way they play the mm. doctor, the way you know, it's all—it's all very David Tennant-ish. It's all very that. But yeah. you—you seem like you're aiming for Troughton, Pertweed, uh, even a bit of Tom Baker and stuff. So that's that's refreshing. Do you know what I mean? It's very refreshing. I agree. So, yeah. Hey. Well, I well I think you know, like you say, there's a there's a lot of fan films out there, um, mm. and I thought if I'm gonna make a an impression on this 
uh, this area. Mm. It needs to be something different. And, and um, so, yes, I did want to give the feel of of the 70s and the 80s, because, like you said, it hasn't been done. And obviously, I'm an a, a older actor. Mm. Um, um, so so that works for me. And, and the idea that the doctor dresses in 70s leather jackets, well, if you can go anywhere in time and space, if you can go to the ends of the universe, to him, everything, every every piece of co- every piece of clo- uh, clothes or clothes are either futuristic or retro to him. Right? Yeah. Mm. Because no, you know, if you say, "Oh, well, you're dressed, like, you're dressed like the seventies," you know, well, no, I, I I dressed like this because this is an era I like, and it's not yeah. retro to me. It's this might be the future to me, or it might be the past. But well, you know, if, in, if in I dress, truth, I guess in truth, they the the actors dressed. <laughs> The time that they were in basically so you know i mean it's it's, it's always going to be something different but i do like yeah. the idea that you're literally channeling the 70s doctor and and the you know and obviously a bit of the 80s doctor as well that's fantastic i think that's really cool so when we look at the yeah. at the pictures and we and talk and, to and Phil what, here, yeah. it's very clear that it's all it's all gels together doesn't it yeah. it feels like a complete vision not just for the character but for the for the show for this yeah. production yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean i mean a lot of um yeah. a lot of fans like me and old farts like me and we're gonna obviously oh, gravitate towards this aren't we but there are a lot of there are a lot of new fans you know uh, as as dan uh, would would clarify on type 40 we have us me me simon and dan and we're the classic who and stuff and then we have charlotte who's new who and stuff like that and and so i don't know you know but i still i think it's a really good idea to go back to you know the Tom Baker era, the John Perwood era, and and it was all about story then, wasn't it? Because obviously they couldn't afford to do certain things, so it was yeah. the written word, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I think if um, if there are any new Who, new Who fans who watch it, they will still get the f- the flavour of New Who because mm. because just just the, the quality of the camera work, the quality of of of, of the, the, the the how how detailed that the, the the, the the screens are now um mm. and uh, you know and, and slightly some of the ways that it's shot um we i mean classic who was always a lot of mid shots um we do have that but we do have close you know some close-ups which is nearer to the yeah. style of new who so yeah. so i don't think i don't think it'll be that jarring to anyone who's who's used to uh you know new who i, I think mm. i think there'll be something for everyone in there and yeah. um and I, and I think i think i think that's uh, you know i like yourself ian i don't knock anyone who gets out there with a camera no. and starts mm. for the love of this program starts filming so so the fact that there's a lot of young fans who play the doctor um and, and i've got to say I, i've watched a few of them and mm. some of the some of the cgi stuff that they do i'm really blown away by i think like that's mm. that's outstanding um but i think what can let them down is obviously budget not that i have a huge budget but i i managed to wangle some good locations um mm. and i think the other thing that sometimes lets them down is is that they they obviously enthusiastic they've got a lot of friends who are enthusiastic so they will get their friends to play the companion yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or the arts yeah. nemesis and they're not they're not trained actors well no yeah you know a lot of the people in this are my friends but they're all 
actor friends. They're all yeah. people who've done stuff that I've picked them because they're good, great actors, mm. not because oh, you're my mate. Do you want to be in this? You know, yeah. it's it's. The acting has That's pretty to much how to you it. work as well, isn't it, Ian? That's how you drive your well, productions. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice, so I have to I have to rely on my directing skills, and because I know I've been doing this for for a very long time, I know what I can I, I can trick an actor to do something so it looks like they're doing one thing, but they're really doing something for me, and they don't know it. So you know, there, <laughs> there are certain ways of, of of talking to an actor and and bluffing them really to to give the performance that you want. So I know how to do that quite a lot, but I do agree with you, Phil, that they just get their friends in. Well, yeah. as you said, everybody needs their, their friends around them, don't they? Do, they? Yeah. And every doctor does need a companion, and it's no different with you in this production. This character is called Jenny, and she is uh, played by a young actress called Mandy Rose, who I work with on a music video, and she is a phenomenal actress. You know, I've watched some of the rushes, and... and um, uh, the camera loves her, if you know what I mean. She, she's very, very photogenic on screen, um, mm. and and hopefully I can I can match that <laughs> as the doctor. Without spoil, I don't want to spoil your your film at all. But is she travelling with the doctor when it when the story begins? The doctor meets her in a spooky warehouse at night, where she is trying to find out more information about why her brother has gone missing. Where did you get the Daleks from? Uh, did you know someone who owned them? There's um, various Facebook sites for people uh, who who have and have built their own Daleks. It was a difficult one. I, I didn't know whether to, to reach out and book the Daleks first and then try and <laughs> get the locations um, so we could build it the day before we shot on the weekend. Because obviously it's a working factory, so you know we didn't have weeks to, to build this thing and leave it up. I mean, it went up on the Friday... The set was scratched on the Sunday, ready for mm. people to come in and work the next on, on the Monday. I had to get that sorted. So I knew I had two weeks and then I had to try and book my Daleks and hope that I could get them. And luckily I did. There's there's a um, couple of chaps who've got very good movie Daleks just up the road for me in Caffili, which is about 12 miles up. Some of the guys came a little bit further. We had one Dalek come from Liverpool and one, and the other Dalek that we had in it, another classic Dalek, was actually featured on, I don't know if you saw it, um, Harry Enfield did a sketch about Doctor Who. and um, Oh, last year. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul, Paul Whitehouse played a sort of William Hartnell-type Doctor. I did and, see that. Uh, and one of those Daleks was, was one of the Daleks that we had. The movie Daleks, because they're so big, the chaps that were inside them powered them by uh, mobility scooters, mobility chairs, wheelchairs. Yeah. Which was fine because we didn't have to... Ha we didn't need them to move at any great speed in the Dalek control room. When the two patrol Daleks, as I call them, were chasing the doctor down the corridors, they needed to move at a little bit more of a pace. And um, so they were, they were old school where you pedal with your feet, sit on a shelf, pedal with your feet. So they could go a lot faster. So um, I think if we'd, if we'd had uh, Daleks with mobility, mobility chairs, uh, chasing the doctor down the corridors, it might have looked a little bit slow. Mm. Uh, it might not have worked. Um, but I mean, and these 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 shots are, are, are great. Uh, you know, I wanted to have a rover man in it, um, so I so I built that helmet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but but I think you know it's not screen authentic to the films, but but it, you know that's a rover man if you've seen the. Oh, it's films, near enough, it's, Phil. It's, it's near, near enough. enough. 
yeah. there's just a lot of atmosphere in these in these static shots like, that you've been I like sharing. The, I like the Daleks, the colour and everything's quite nice. Well, that's it. It's it, it's it's colourful. It's colourful. Mm. The pre-title sequence is is very colourful. Very, it could be something out of a sixties film. And then when you hit the main story, it's a little bit more new. Who, if you like, you know, it's it's mm. in a spooky warehouse at night. There's something going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, it's 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 going well. It's going well. Um, so tell me a little about the rest of the cast. I mean, who, who did you manage to convince to wear the, the Bin Liner type suit of the Robo Man and your homemade helmet? And who, well, who is the Scorpion? Who's playing the Scorpion? Do we get to even see the Scorpion? Or is that also me getting getting way, way ahead of myself? We do get to see the Scorpion. Um, the chap playing the Robo Man um, is, out of all me saying that, you know, I, I hired people because they were actors, I did actually hire one of my friends because I thought he would be the right height and build yes. for for us looking at but it uh the robo man is is basically a a background extra uh yeah, role. so there, there wasn't any dialogue needed so so it's perfect for that the mm. scorpion i knew i had to have someone who had uh a slightly alien look because he is an alien shall we say um so there's a chap who's with the same um acting agency as myself and he uh, has a what you call a USP, a unique selling point in that is in that he is six foot five. Um, so he towers above the doctor. A big unit, uh, Phil. A big unit. A big, yeah, a big unit. And I think once we get him into some alien makeup, he is going to look very good, very good indeed. So I think he'll be a great nemesis for the doctor. Um, but then he has his sort of second lieutenant, if you like, um, who, who's played, uh, the character's called Taylor, and he's played by uh, Brian Smith, um, who I think you put a photo of him up earlier uh, in, the, in the, the night shoot that we did. And he is oh, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a great actor. I've worked with him before uh, in a stage play, uh, and he has a, he has a great voice. There's certain actors that have got great voices. You think of Richard Burton, um and brian has a distinctive voice like that so he will bring a lot of gravitas to that role there's yeah there's brian there mm. um yeah yeah i'm very pleased with my cast it's not a huge there's not a huge amount of characters in it it's quite a small ensemble of cast um but they are all good Cool. And obviously, yeah. you've said you've spoke very highly of their skills as actors. Are they necessarily, if not Doctor Who fans, then genre fans, or are they just hungry to act? Well, funny enough, Brian is a is a, a Doctor Who fan, uh, same as myself. So whenever we meet up, we meet up, we we talk Doctor Who invariably. Yeah. Um, Mandy, who plays jenny she's not a doctor who fan but her father is <laughs> he's a massive doctor <laughs> who fan oh, dear, yeah. so, oh god <laughs> so, so, so i think i think some of i think some of that osmosis has, has sort of moved into her so 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 she's very enthusiastic about it as well um i think lucas who plays our our character scorpion uh isn't um what you call a fan but obviously knows has watched new who and 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 likes that so so yeah he's certainly on board for for, for the, the role and what it entails obviously if, if you're in makeup there's a lot of um sitting around it's quite it's not always the most comfortable thing it's quite hard to act in uh in, in heavy prosthetics but 
he seems to be up for it. So, uh, especially yeah. if you're doing a night shoot as well. A night yeah, the night. I hate night shoots. Oh, well, I, 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 you know, I've done a few, um, and I wasn't looking forward to it. But actually, that you know, we we started at eight. It went dark because we needed it for the darkness. Mm. Uh, simply because I couldn't really get up on the roof and black out the, the windows. Mm. Um, so we started around nine-ish and filmed till 4 a.m. Uh, both days, overran on the Saturday by about half an hour. Um, mm. and, and to be fair, to be fair, the actors, the, the energy <coughs> levels were, were still good, you know, at four in the morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and we got some, like I said, we, we got some really good footage. Um, there's a there's a there's a lovely stunt in this which I I can't tell you oh, about no. it, would, it would be a spoiler. No, we don't spoil want it. any spoilers. We don't yeah. want any spoilers at all. I, I'm positively chomping at the bit to to see this just from <laughs> what you're telling us from the images, everything that you share. Because every couple of weeks there's a round of of new things on your social media accounts, yeah. and it all seems to be coming to life. So I think you're showing us and telling us just enough to whet the appetite and get us invested in what this could be. We're going to talk a little bit more about this production, about about the whens and the hows, and, and maybe tease a little more from Phil. But uh, we've got a sting of a different kind coming up now, delivered by our mate Kev. He's going to whisk us all away on a whistle-stop tour across the Fandom Podcast Network for a reminder of all the other shows out there covering all the other franchises that a lot of us, a lot of us geeks, are into as well across movies and TV and comic books and everything else here on the Fandom Podcast Network. We'll see you back here in a couple of minutes for more about Doctor Who meets the Scorpion. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast. We cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show. Our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom.
Yes, we've teased and tantalised you there, and we can even clothe you too with merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and that's where you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of the podcasts on everything from T-shirts and phone cases right the way up to enormous tapestries. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself, treat your other selves. All goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. So every body wins i am still here with ian david diaz and philip roy doctor who himself here we've just had the lowdown on doctor who meets the scorpion little teases about what's to come and the cast and some of the logistics of this production that that uh, phil is bringing to life for us it sounds to me although your script is complete and it's sort of locked in you are kind of rolling with the the punches and the realities of of low-budget filmmaking. I think what a lot of people who could be listening out there might be wondering is, okay, we've been teased quite a lot. When do you think we're going to get to see this finished product? Like you say, the the realities of low-budget filmmaking are that you can't throw a chunk of money at it and uh, nail nail down your crew and your actors. So um, (laughs) it is a little bit ad hoc as and when. Um, filming so far has been on weekends. There's certain scenes that we, I know we won't be able to get the locations on the weekend. It'll have to be weekdays. The simple answer is I don't know. It, I would I would hope that by the end of next year, after post-production and principal filming is finished, it would be out, hopefully, for the, 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 the 61st anniversary, but it's not going to be ready for this year. I can, I can no. tell you that now. I think the next step is we've got 15 minutes of footage now. I think we need to put out a teaser trailer and then go down a little bit of the of the crowdfunding route. I think that's just the reality of any quality mm. product that's more, more than a, than a 10 minute short. You have to throw enough money at it to make it a good product. And if you want a good product, you need good locations, you need sets, people working behind the scenes to edit it and put decent sound onto it. So I think, yeah, we will have to do the crowdfund route. But to be honest, if I was a fan and I saw the sort of teaser trailer that we're going to put out and the sort of footage, and you can tell by the photos, you know, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. I'd throw, I'd throw a tenor in any day to see that realised. And if, and if we get enough fans doing it, then the production will move forward at a faster pace. With any fan film, the one thing you can't do is monetize it. The moment you try and sell DVDs or something off the back of the film, the BBC quite right will say that this is our copyright. You can't, you know, if you say this is this is a, a little homage, a little tribute to the, to the programme we know and love, I hope you enjoy it as well. As with all the other fan films, there shouldn't be a problem. Um, but if we crowdfund enough and we get this thing done, you never know. It could become like Star Trek Returns where they crowdfunded enough to do a, a, whole, a whole season. If they like my doctor and they like Jenny as the companion, if she survives, who knows? They may want to see more. I would love to do more. Um, Are the finances the biggest hurdle of yours to overcome, or, or has there been other creative challenges that you that you've already overcome in, in shooting what you what you already have? I think the finances is the, is the main one. Obviously, mm. when I when I look at my script as as writing the script, I've had to think, okay, how do we how do we do that? How do we make that? If there's a set that needs to do a certain thing or it needs to look a certain way, how do we do it? Um, 
I mean, luckily I have a bit of an art background, so so I've got quite a good idea of how how I can realise these things. Um, but it does it does <clears> take <throat> money, even even using the same the same ideas that the BBC um, effects department used in 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 the eighties. <laughs> you know, if you need to build if you need to build a transporter, well, what what can you do out of? And a lot of the time, it's plywood, polystyrene. A couple of coloured lights and some silver paint, um, but I don't think that's to the detriment of what we're trying to do because I think I think the fans will get that, and actually it will enhance the product. You know, if if you did a fan film of the old Flash Gordon films, and all your robots were guys in guys in silver boxes, the fans would understand that that's how they did it when yeah. Buster Crab was in the role, and they and they'll get a kick out of that. If you try and modernise it too much suddenly the, the then it's the not a homage to what they loved in the first place exactly yes so so i think I th- yeah i would say the budget is, is is the biggest thing i don't think i think creatively we we can do everything that needs to be done with this production the only problem i have and i can see is when we do tarda scenes now i can quite easily create a set of the tardis space what I'm struggling with at the moment is um, we either go down the route of having a TARDIS console built. Now that's that's big money, you know, because it's not an easy carpentry job to do that. Um, or we we try and find someone who has their own TARDIS console around the country, and it's portable enough, so they they would be happy to bring it down. We'd give them some money and let us film with it. So so I mean that's that's. That's the only part of the film I haven't worked out in my head at the moment. There's a there's a fella out there now who's got, for example, the console that was in the Blackpool exhibition. I know that that still exists in its home. Yeah. So I can't remember where it is, but maybe if you could track him down, he'd be happy. Because <laughs> it fits with yeah. that kind of aesthetic and that time of the mid-70s that you're talking about. But, uh, yeah, does. I don't know I... where he is. Maybe somebody out there knows. If you do know, get in touch well, with Type yeah, 40, Instagram and Twitter, at Type 40 Doctor Who. <laughs> There, there, there is a chap who's, who's taken his, um, his, and it's a full-size um, 70s Tom Baker console to various conventions. And I did speak to him and said, look, would you be prepared to bring it down to Cardiff and, you know, we'll reimburse you for your time and effort. Um, mm. But from what he was saying, he said it, it's, it's, it's very hard to move because it comes apart in about 16 pieces. And the other thing is it won't go through a standard door. So, you know, so, so, which is, so, so I think what I'm looking for is someone, (laughs) yes, is is someone who has, um, someone who has a slightly smaller console, um, maybe not quite as small as, um, as in the Tom Baker season where it went very wooden. Yeah, the secondary console room, yeah. Um, you you know, when Leela was in it and they went to it, yes, yeah. I don't think I wanted that small, um, but something was say I don't know two thirds of the size of the the normal six sided console would be great. But like I said, I think that's a that's a problem to be solved in the future. Uh, both scenes can be done. You know, worst case scenario, we, we we'll we'll go we'll go to the, we'll go to this this you know someone can set up their console in their own place and, and we can dress the set around that. I don't know, I don't know. But that's that's the only thing I haven't figured out in my mind. All the other stuff is is doable. Doable. Mm. Ian, hearing yeah. Phil talk mm. here about the the challenges that he's 
facing and the, the problems that he's solving and the financial question that, and the technical difficulties, the, the simplest of things like getting something through a door. Does this chime with you? And have you got any advice here for Phil here about the way to approach some of this stuff? Well, I do, actually. <laughs> um, okay, right. So um, I don't know if you know that um, if you've got Photoshop um, beta, you can say, so for instance, say you say you've got the the actual TARDIS um, console. Say you manage mm -hmm. to get that, um, you can literally now you know what match shots is, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so you can. It's so easy now; it's incredibly easy because of AI. So in Photoshop, a lot of people are doing this. Basically, they shoot in video of themselves, and then what they do is they take a still of that and they put it in Photoshop. And they stick it in the middle of a white frame and they tell Photoshop to create what's on the left and what's on the right. And it does it perfectly. It matches the picture. So you say, I want a window on the left. It'll create a window, it'll create different versions of the window and you just pick one. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing with the other side as well. So for instance, it depends on what you're shooting. This is a low budget, obviously, a low budget idea of how to do this. So say for instance, the doctor's not moving a lot. He's moving around the console, say you can create the rest of the set via this way. So you just, you create the whole yeah. thing in Photoshop and then you take it and you put it into Adobe uh, Premiere Pro, whatever it is. Um, and then you put that uh, video within that space. So that's one way of doing it. And also you can also do that as well when you're outside. So for say for instance, yeah, you're yeah. in a gravel pit and you want to you know, a big castle next to it. You can you can do that the same way as long as they don't go past the line of where the oh, yeah. where the photograph is. It you know it will work. And then and then on top of that, with um, Adobe Premiere Pro, you can you can create a shake, which was a handheld shot in the in in the camera, so it looks like you are actually there. So there's loads of there's there's hundreds and thousands of techniques of how you can do it, but you just have to be clever yeah. about it. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I don't want to sound like a know-it-all. I only learned this recently. Tell you the truth, because um, I have got Adobe package and and they always update it and they keep saying it's AI this and AI yeah. that, and I'm like, what the hell's this? You know what I mean? And then once I discovered, I think maybe I should try that. So I'm going to try it in my my um, productions uh, going forward. But that's just a, a an idea that you can you can yeah. around. These with. are brand new advances, aren't they? That are changing, yeah. it seems, almost by the yeah. week. It's crazy what AI can do these days. I got a friend that um he wanted Peter Bacoldi to read his Doctor Who story and obviously he can't get him, so he went to AI and the AI imitated his voice perfectly. <laughs> perfectly. You thought it was Peter Bacoldi reading his Doctor Who story. It was incredible. So, uh, mm. and all this stuff is free on the internet. It's crazy. You don't have to pay for it. It's, it's you just have to find the right program and it will do it. So, so think about that. Maybe that will that that can yeah. help you. But yeah. by failing that though, failing that, uh, I think, um, yeah, go to the, if the person has a as a console set, go to them rather than them <laughs> come to you, and, and yeah. just work it in such a way that it. You, that could they walk through a door and suddenly they're in london do you know what i mean you're in cardiff you walk through the door and then you know they're going to the concert you know yeah. there's got to be a way of doing it and also green screen is as a help as well you know to shoot in such yeah. a way that you shoot the console and then you can put it in as they walk in and stuff like that so it is all durable it's just that you i always say to people when you're making a low budget film without common sense it's like having a boat without water do you know what i mean so you've got to have mm -hmm. common sense when you're making a low budget film otherwise you're dead you're dead in the water yeah so, yeah. But, um, yeah, there you go. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, may, maybe we we go down the route of the of the sixties films that we don't have that traditional target yeah, interior. Yeah, you could do yeah. that. That's uh, that's that's uh, that's, nice that's an option. Yeah, it's an option. You know, so they did an awful lot with black cloth in those films, didn't they? <laughs> black cloth yeah. or, or green cloth. There's one last yeah. uh, image that you've that you've put out onto social media. I just want to talk about briefly because when Ooh. I saw when I saw the image of the TARDIS that you got against the green backdrop there, whilst mm. you whilst you shoot a miniature uh, for the TARDIS in flight. This reminds me so much of those very, very few. But whenever they were on screen, I think as young fans in the 70s, in the, the Tom Baker era, era in particular, when the TARDIS was just spinning off into into a starry backdrop. On a wire. You, it used to help, didn't it, Ian? It used to, yeah. Somehow, it seems so homely, and the TARDIS always looked so small. I, I just thing thought is, this was wonderful when I yeah, saw it. Yeah, the thing is, though, you could do it that way, but also, again, for free, on the internet, you can find a 3D, um, for free, a 3D TARDIS. And you could have used that yeah. on green screen. You could have used that. I don't know how, you know, I think some, if you, to get it really right, you can, you can, you have to buy, obviously, the, 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 the clip. But, I mean, to do it that way, it's just as good, let's face it. And if he's using um, After Effects, then it's going to be, it's going to be fine. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah. And, and like, it comes back to, to what I was saying earlier in that, in, in you know, even when people, see the TARDIS, this TARDIS flying through space yeah. or, or, I mean, the shots that we're doing now is for the, for the, the title sequence. Um, yeah. So, so, so even though people know that it's a model, yeah. The fact that it's there and it's tangible. Yes, I agree. You feel, like you, reach out and t- you feel like you can reach yeah. out. And I, it. I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm not a big fan of CGI spaceships and stuff that I, I, I love Star Trek when ILM used to create the whole model and they used to shoot it. And there's yeah. something tangible about a tangible about it, isn't there? I agree with you totally, Phil. Agree I mean, you. I mean, you know, not not to put too much of a spoiler on it, but we are, you know, that mm. there is a, a Dalek spaceship um, mm. in one of the scenes, and my Dalek spaceship. I mean, we may not go down this route, but my Dalek spaceship is basically two frisbees stuck together with a light on the top. <laughs> and, um, you know, if like people it. think if people think that's two frisbees stuck on top of each other, sprayed silver, it, it doesn't matter. It's tangible. Yeah, and it yeah. and it has a flavour, and that's probably what they would have done when the money ran out on, um, you know, um, Face of Evil or whatever. It, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter because it's there and it's tangible. People forgive an awful lot of that. I think people are less forgiving of bad CGI. Yeah, I'd rather have a I'd rather have a model. That looks mm. like a model than, than CGI, which looks very CGI. Well, I mean, there are a lot of good CGI um, models, uh, uh, TARDIS out there that looks yeah. quite real. It just you just have to know what in, what environment to put it in. Yeah. So you really are doing fine, and I understand the pressure of trying to find money to actually complete it and stuff like that. I'm in the same boat um, doing a web series at the moment. I'm in the same boat just like you. There's something Jim Carrey said, which I think is fantastic. He said, you know, with hope you can walk through fire, but with faith you can leap over it. Man, keep the faith and keep going. That's all I can say. (laughs) We will will get there. Yeah. Doctor Who meets the Scorpion coming soon-ish, soon enough, basically whenever Phil and his friends and colleagues there can pull it all together, perhaps with help from you out there. So... Phil, if people do want to know more and see more and be up to date, where can they find you on social media? 
on our Facebook page, which if they search for Doctor Who, as Doctor as in DR, not the full spelling, Doctor Who meets the Scorpion. At some, to- at some point, I probably will have to expand my social media, but um, this is a good place to start. And we, we, do, we do keep updating bits on there, so follow us on there and you will see how we're progressing. So what's the reception been like so far to, to this? Who's, who's got in touch so far? Absolutely fantastic. Um, the, the, the response on Facebook um, has been really good. Very, very positive. They, they've even to the point where they, they've liked my look. And, you know, there's a couple of little clips on there, um, behind the scenes clips of us shooting with, with some of the Daleks. I think because it's so different to all the other fan films that have, that have gone previously, this isn't aimed at the aimed at the new Who look. It's aimed at the seventies, eighties look. That's our well, one of our selling points, really. Yeah, we're trying to sort of give a give a flavour of, of what was. I'm sure this has whetted people's appetites, and there'll be lots of people willing you to success, and perhaps willing also to put their hands in their pockets and to and to get behind you. I, I certainly am going to be all over this. I'm going to be following very, very closely, and I, I think we'd like to have you back on at some point as well to let us know how the how the production's going and and some more of the of the, mm. the pitfalls and the joys of uh, of small filmmaking. I'm, I'm fascinated by it all. Ian's always telling stories about various uh, various aspects of these productions. It really is fascinating, and I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing some of this. Yeah, thanks, Phil. With us with us this time, well, it's been thanks. really really interesting. Thank you for giving your time and um, and getting enthusiastic about about something that I think is going to be a good product. And that's the old girl starting up and calling time on another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. I'll be back with another one soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been over at the dedicated home feed for Type 40 at type40.podbean.com. Or maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbay, all those various places. We're on the on the Podbeam app itself. Very easy to use there. And we're on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform here on the Type 40 channel with dedicated video editions of every single podcast now, along with our, our sister show, Type 40 Live. That's our weekly magazine format, Doctor Who live stream, completely live, completely raw, where anything can happen, anything can be said, and often is so you can find type 40 live on the type 40 youtube channel too can't they ian yeah Yep, yep. <laughs> we're still on the fabulous fandom podcast network's master feed loaded up with all those treats for your ears never mind on the weekly it's coming <laughs> you're practically on the daily there over at the fpn so please consider a trip sideways in time for more quality shows right there maybe you'd like to have your say about all of this you can reach out to us through our social media instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who or email us type 40 doctor who at gmail.com could be you're feeling really brave in that case you can step into the type 40 facebook group too and that's where you'll find so many incarnations of the fan base itself people immersed in the classic series i think the classic series is more alive than ever and you'll find people posting about that in the facebook group along with lots of new series fans too that came along later and i think all of us are waiting aren't we shoulder to shoulder as we wait for all new doctor who that's coming soon we promised it's coming soon by russell t davis uh, ian mm. where can people find you on social media and, and follow the progress too on rebecca gold 
two. They can follow me on Rebecca Gold, which is the YouTube channel. Um, season one's on there. Um, just like Phil, it'll be ready hopefully in the middle of next year, whatever, you know. But I'm I'm fighting. Obviously, I can watch my movie Bad Day, which is on Netflix. And Sorry. you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as the Spacebook, wheezing and groaning, ranting and <laughs> raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS in comic books, movies and on TV. Now and again, I flirt with the, the real life, the everyday too, when I do have to come right back down to earth. That is. Uh, one more time, Phil, where can people keep track of, of your fan film, Doctor Who Meets the Scorpion? Where can they find that on social media to follow it through as the, as the weeks and the shoots and everything continues? Yeah, at the moment it's Facebook. Uh, just search for Doctor Who Meets the Scorpion. Absolutely irresistible. Yeah, that's it for another one. Thanks for listening. We always have the time, if you have the space, here at Type 40. We'll speak to you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>